Welcome to Women Leading the Way Radio Show, where each time you'll hear from successful women CEOs, executives, and professionals, where we'll discover how they do what they do to be successful in business. We'll be interviewing women who have overcome big challenges, women who have incredible stories of lessons learned in dealing with adversity. We'll even interview women who have started and grown successful organizations and women who are C-level executives with unique talents and positions. Our goal is to bring successful businesswomen together to share how they're leading the way in business today. Good morning and welcome to Women Lead Radio. It's brought to you by Connected Women of Influence. I'm Donna Netwig and my show is Women on the Journey, Tales from the Trenches. And our topic today is Humanity in the Midst of inhumanity. And we have an incredible woman with us today. Our leading lady today is Marie Christine Williams. And let me tell you, 30 minutes will not begin to describe her story, her character, and what we all can learn from her. So Marie Christine is a woman of great heart, strength, and compassion in spite of her childhood. And it, which placed her in the center of inhumanity with family abuse and then genocide. I have just fallen in love with her. She has written a book of her life experience titled The Dark Side of Humanity. She speaks five languages, teaches diversity in culture, and she has founded a nonprofit to assist the homeless and low-income individuals with food, clothing, utilities, and et cetera. Welcome, Marie Christine. How are you this morning? I'm doing good. Thank you so much for having me on. Oh, my pleasure. Could you briefly tell us a little bit about your background, uh, where you were born, and how you came to be living in Rwanda? Okay, so I was born in Bucharest, Romania, and I was the second child. Um, So three months later, my mother abandoned me. And then later on, I ended up in Rwanda. So I moved to Rwanda to live with my father and my older sister. And your father, uh, was he from Rwanda? Yes. My father was uh, from there, but he went to school in Bucharest, Romania. That's how he met my mother. Right. So... um... Now you're in Africa, so tell us um, about what you experienced. So you were how old at that point when you first moved to Rwanda? I moved there when I was seven, and um, I lived there until I was age 14. So my household childhood uh, was very sad. Uh, My life changed forever uh, when my father started abusing me and my older sister, uh, it, life was not easy living in a household when it was a lot of abuse and mental, physical, emotional abuse from my mm-hmm. And so this continued up until you were the 14. Abuse. Yes. Go ahead. So the abuse continued until I was age 14. Um, as you also know that in 1994 was a genocide, 
Uh, to be honest with you, I didn't think my life would get any worse. I um, mm. I was fighting to live my to live in my household. I was trying to survive my father, and I was trying to survive the abuse I was getting from my household and the school. And it's not like your father didn't have uh, uh, money, and he wasn't. Uh, they, it wasn't a, an uncomfortable house, except for the fact that they weren't giving you food or they weren't giving you clothing. They weren't being parents, your stepmother and your father. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. So what happened was when I, um, so basically uh, my father was, he had a lot of money. He had a very good job. He was very well established in the country. He worked as the engineer architect for different companies. So we lived in a very distant neighborhood, except that I didn't have the things I needed as a child. So I never had a Christmas present. I never grew a candle on my birthday. Um, I was wrapped up in a closet. Basically my life, my childhood life was miserable. I hmm. never thought I would ever survive my household alone. At such a young age. And then you're 14 years old. Now, a lot of people are probably don't remember, unfortunately, um, what happened in Rwanda in 1994 and uh, the war that began and the genocide that was a result of that. Could you start speaking then what happened when you were at 14? Wow. Yeah. Could you just explain that a little bit? Yes, so when I was 14 years old, uh, it was, briefly, it was issues between Hutus and Tutsis. So it's two different tribes, same language. We have the same culture. And you couldn't even tell us apart. So what happened in 1994, it was basically neighbors killed neighbors. Um, So in 1994, in April, that day, on April 7th, the entire neighborhood was attacked by the Hutu militias. So what happened is I took off running. I was in a jungle for 100 days. I didn't know what happened to my family because when the, uh, the people came in households and killing families, they made a list of people who lived in each house. So every time they would come, and they would count people, they would kill them, they would realize that someone is missing, they would burn the houses. And also what they would do, they would make sure that they burn everything and was nothing great. So I survived 100 days alone in the jungle by myself. I was just in a short and a t-shirt. I didn't even have shoes in my feet. I was running in a blind in the blind spot. I didn't know where I was. So I slept under the sores and during the night I would move trying to find a better hiding spot. It was a lot of chaos because I heard so many people getting killed. I would just mm. close my my eyes and cover my ears. I just didn't oh. want to even hear them screaming on anymore. You know, it was painful for me to hear them uh, screaming. 
Oh, absolutely. Well, and you were 14 years old trying to survive on your own. So uh, when they came to your house, I'm always amazed by people that people can turn in a second and neighbors are killing neighbors because of a different name they call each other, you know? Yeah. And and, uh, And then all of a sudden this is your enemy and they're dehumanized. So you were 14 years old, but uh, they didn't find you when they came to the house um, because you were not in the house at that moment. Is that correct? Yeah. So because that day, um, I just, the house was crowded, you know, it was, you know, Easter was after Easter. So we had some family members over there. So the house was very crowded so I went in the backyard. I used to I used to sit there by myself, trying to kind of like stay away from other people in the house. I like I like to have my own time, you know, just alone. So the time it happened, my house was attacked. I was actually sitting in the same spot I was sat. So I heard my neighbors screaming, and it was so weird. Like everything happened so fast that I never even got time to get back in the house to tell my family that the neighbors were screaming. So I just Uh, took off running. So so that's why you you were able to do that. So how did, for 100 days, how does a 14-year-old survive? You're running and you knew to hide, but how did you find food? How did you... Uh, where were you going? Did you have any sense of, did you have any idea of where you could go, where you could be? Um, no. <laughs> no, because what I did is what, I was running in a blind spot. I never knew where I was or where I was going. So I always tried to go in people's gardens during the night so I can find some food or something that, that I I can eat. Um, I was like a skeleton. A couple of weeks uh, after the genocide, I was like a skeleton. I didn't even have shoes in my feet. Um, I was very cold. I even really, honestly, even to, to this day, I wonder how I made it out because mm. I was wounded. My feet were breathing, and I really even didn't know that I was going to make it. It was just right. even amazing that I didn't die just from starvation. Mm, exactly, yeah. So did you, how were you discovered? Were, did people find you? How did, were there other people that you would uh, find that were also trying to hide? Um, you know, let's share a little bit of how it felt out there. And so, um, when you said you were wounded, what do you mean, other than your feet, what else happened? Okay, so when I was running, uh, one time I was cut by the, 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 the Hutu tribe, the majority that was killing the minority Tutsis. So they racked me up, in a, it was like a school, and it was a lot of women in there and the children. Um, so you so were captured. captured. Yes, I was captured. So that was the third time I was captured. So I learned something through my journey that 
I had to run for my life if I wanted to survive. I had to oh, fight. So because a stranger I met through my hiding, he told me something that empowered me through this day. This man was slowly dying, and he told me, if you want to survive, you have to run. You, were, you are young, you are smart to have survived this, all this time by yourself. Keep doing what you're doing. You are going to make it. So I took it out as, okay, if anyone tried to catch me, I'm going to have to run. So the first time I was caught by the Hutu majority, the tribe, I, uh, you know, I tried to find a way to get out of it. I, I, see, I, I took off running because most of them, they were using machetes and the knives. They didn't even have guns. So I was young and I knew how to, I was a good runner. So they would have to catch me if they wanted to kill me. So I took off running. The second time I did the same thing. But the fourth time when I was wrapped up in a school with the children and the women, I knew it was no way for me to get out of it. So they marched us on a bridge. So they would hack people to death and we throw them under the bridge. So basically what happened to me, I did what I was done. I took off running. I pushed people behind me and I took off running. So someone hit me with a bullet in my leg. He came quickly and he dragged me on a bridge. So I remember the first swing of machete. When he tried to kill me, I moved my head. He hit with the machete in a wrong, a wrong spot. So he thought I was dead. So he threw me off the bridge. So I don't know how long I was laying there, but I can tell you that a stranger came and dug me out and helped me and took it off me. And I believe that that's why I'm still here, because of mm. a stranger who did everything he could to save my life. Mm. This is like such an amazing, empowering story, because at 14, after being told by abusive father that you were worthless and you were not smart and you served no purpose, that you survived out there and... and uh, a man encouraged you and told you powerful and smart you were. And um, yeah. clearly, you totally embraced that. You know, um, I just believe that we can all empower each other in a certain, in a many different ways. Like for me, I remember when my father used to tell me how uh, stupid and worthless I was from age seven to all the time during the, before genocide. And mm. I remember how he told me that I never deserved to have a good life. But during the times I was running, those memories from my father, they always came to me. So I felt like I wanted to prove him how important, intelligent, and how smart I was. I was surviving. I think mm -hmm. for me it was because of that that made me wanting to fight for my life, just to show him, just to prove mm -hmm. him wrong. So Yes. 
So um, I have to interrupt just for a moment, and we're going to take a, a quick commercial break um, for everyone, and we will um, to recognize our sponsors, and we will be back shortly. Women Lead Radio is brought to you today by Connected Women of Influence and our partner, National University. National University is proud to be San Diego's largest private nonprofit university founded in 1971. The National University mission is to provide accessible, achievable higher education to adult learners. Today, National University educates students from across the U.S. and around the globe with over 170,000 alumni worldwide. Thank you for your support, National University, and to all of our sponsors and our partners. And now, Donna, back to your show. Welcome back um, to Women uh, in the Trenches. And with us today is Marie-Christine Williams. And this uh, program is Humanity in the Midst of Humanity. Now, um, you have written a book, The Dark Side of Human Nature, and you basically wrote this from for your son, is my understanding, and um, people to really understand uh, what you experienced through all of this time. Uh, well, I just can say I recommend reading the book. And apparently there's a possibility that, that a movie is going to be made about all of this too. your life. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. So there is a way to do. But let's talk about what happened, how you got empowered by all of this. So after years of healing, um, and explain that a little bit, then you uh, ended up in the U.S. and you're teaching, you're helping with a nonprofit, and I'd really kind of like to focus a bit on the nonprofit, um, what you do in that, and how we can all help. So how long um, was are you healing from all this and you ended up back in Europe, is that correct? Yes. So after the London genocide, and I was in a hospital from in and out of hospital for four years. I ended up back in Europe to my grandmother's house, and I tried to find a way to learn how to walk. Um, I was in a wheelchair for many years. I had to rebuild the um, my legs and. It was just a new journey for me in the pain. So I was tired complaining about my life and how victim and everything I went through. I decided later on in my life to make changes. I wanted to make positive changes because I just believe that our past and the things we go through every day, we can actually make it. We can take negativities and turn them into something positive. Like for me, I wanted to involve myself in something larger. So I started this uh, non-for-profit organization it's called MCW Hope for Life. Provide is a program basically that helps less fortunate people. So we provide them with assistance um, and with uh, also cross people and we help them pay the bills and sometimes during the uh, holiday seasons we actually provide them warm meals um, so we also do more than that so we have a lot of love 
for the less fortunate people. So I had to involve myself in some things larger than myself. I had to help other people in the need to feel like I was worth, I was valuable. So I believe that mm. when you involve yourself in something larger that is actually empowering in the community, you yeah. get better. And the opening up about your life, it helps you by, um, by sharing your story. So we all have stories. So we can yeah. actually use our stories to help people in need. So that's why I tell people that, okay, we all have problems. We all have issues. But how can we get better from the suffering? What can we do to make personal changes in our own lives? So that's when I opened up. I became a speaker. I do keynote speaking. I teach diversity and inclusion that it brings people together. And so my story is just a reminder of where I was. So if you look at me today, either I'm feeding homeless people or I'm teaching a class or I am speaking in front of different uh, groups, is just to remind people that you can do great things in your life even if you have suffered. You can empower other people to do better in your life. So that's what I do. Yes, that our stories can become our greatest strength if we use it with heart and compassion, which you unquestionably have done. And I feel very strongly that um, your purpose is so much about giving people what you never received through the family or from the gov- political government situation. Um, and yes. and it's really beautiful in this nonprofit. Now, there's also um, a health and beauty um, component to your nonprofit. Yes. So we um, we created uh, Machanter is a, a company that gives proceeds back to the organization to our organization. So we created the beauty and weight loss programs to help women and the people to improve the, you know, the personal lives. You know, you, I, I just believe that you have to uh, take care of yourself if you want to take care mm-hmm. of others. So we created the Mashantari to empower people to live better, healthy lives. And also by doing that, we um, decided to give a proceed back to the organization. So when we created Machanter, it was to, a way to make people feel like they are ordering stuff, but to make them live better lives, but also by giving back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Machantel, is that all uh, on your website, the MCW Hope for Life for your nonprofit? Yes, and okay. also you can, yeah, you can also find the on my personal website, mariechristinewilliams.com, either, either one, mcwhoforife.org too. Uh, yeah. Okay. All right. So um, if people, um, as you were saying, you do keynote speaking, you do speaking, you, um, you teach um, diversity, culture, and inclusion. Um, 
if people wanted to get a hold of you to donate or to ask for your services, what is the best way to contact you? So uh, they can go either on mariechristinewilliams.com and also for, um, if, if they want, they can also call our um, business number is 636-489-1924. Okay, that's 636-489-1924. Is that correct? Yes. Okay, good. And uh, is one way better than the other? They're both good. I mean, I think it's better maybe to go on our website. But okay. if you have questions, you can still call us. Okay. So, and the either either website, the MC um, W W uh, Hope for Life. Yes. And that is that dot com or dot org. Is that org? Okay. Okay, just to be clear, mcwhopeforlife.org. Yes. Okay. So um, your purpose right now, and really what is most in, important to you, clearly is empowering women, um, having them find their value and take care of themselves, and then share with those around you. Is that correct? What is the most yes. important thing you would like to share with us right now? Everything you just said is correct. So for me, I feel like we, as women, we have to empower and lift each other up. And I feel like women, we should be a team and actually help each other grow. So for me, that's one of my biggest things, is helping people like me do better you know, live better lives and also find a way to build a, be- a dream. Like if you have a goal or a dream, you know, go for it. If you want to start a business, you know, try it. So don't ever be scared to try something new. Mm-hmm. I-, I feel that's such an important message because I, I-, I find it, it's so frustrating in this culture right now that there's uh, such a binary look at things. There's right, wrong, good, or bad. And and failure is not encouraged. And it, it's important to not be afraid to fail because that's how we learn. We, we never learn things in the easy way. We tend to always learn things in the most difficult way. So yes. try and learn from it. And you can shift in a, a moment um, to become something you always wanted to be and never thought you could. I mean, you have such a, a, an amazing story, and um, and it brought you, and that's why I said humanity in the midst of inhumanity. If we all remember that, that heart and compassion can win out and serve us uh, in, in the midst of unspeakable circumstances. You're just uh, such a a beautiful model for us. Yeah, I I believe for me, that's why I also tell people that, you know, if I did this, if if I'm out there and I'm positive, I build a good life, why can't you? You know, because for me, 
I grew up brainwashed that I was worthless. So if mm-hmm. I was able to overcome my childhood and I overcame the all the pain and the genocide, why can't you try to find a way to be like me, be a fighter for a better life, for a better future? Mm-hmm. And I really believe that if you put your mindset on something you really want, you can do it. Yes. And you're there to support people in doing that, uh, which I think is so beautiful. Yes, it is. Yeah. So um, is there anything else that you would would like to to share with us? I mean, you speak five languages. I find it amazing. So (laughs) when did you find time to to go to college? Uh, Was this after the four years of uh, going in and out of hospitals and learning how to walk again? Yeah, so what I did was um, when I was 14, I was still in high school. So when I went in, back to Europe, I I didn't want to give up. So I was in that wheelchair thinking like I want a better life that I didn't have growing up. I wanted to go to school. I wanted to go and do better. So I went to school. Um, I finished high school in a wheelchair graduated high school in a wheelchair. Then I went to Australia. I went to Australian Catholic University. I was there for five years, five and a half years, almost six years. I uh, wanted to do good. I knew it was something about me that was going to make me be a better person, Mm -hmm. regardless of life I had as a child. I think that's probably a, a very wise thing for you to go to Australia into an environment where you could recreate yourself, basically. It was totally away from everything you had experienced. Uh, and I'm sure this is probably what you were thinking, to, uh, you know, a way to start a brand new life is by just getting a different perspective by being in a different country. Yes. I wanted to be alone. I just wanted um, to be away. I wanted to go yeah. and see how can I do on my own. What can I do alone? I wanted to go and reboot, reboot myself. I felt like I needed to be away from people I knew so I can see what can I do alone? Because I just felt like for years, I felt like I was worthless after a genocide. Every time I looked in the mirror, I felt like I didn't really belong. I didn't have deserve to live. So when I decided maybe I need to change the way I think and I need to change the way I live my life, that's when I made the decision to go in a country just to start over. Mm-hmm. And it was the best thing I ever done. <laughs> I'm such a, a, a true believer in this, and I, I say this frequently, that for change to come, perspective is at the core of everything. And by clearing, living in the questions and opening up uh, and, and able to see things in a different way, questions, how you're seeing things. Why are you seeing things that way? And you can develop self-awareness and create 
a much stronger mind and see things differently and be able to create that change that you knew in your gut that there was something that you could do. Um, and that's very, very beautiful. Um, so we're almost out of time here. Um, do you have one last, last message before we say farewell today? Yeah, I just want to tell the people who are listening that life is worth living and don't give up and remember to chase your dreams if you have any. Don't give up. It's never too late. Oh, thank you. Thank you. So I really want to say thank you um, for to um, Marie-Christine Williams, just to say your full name again. Uh, thank you so much for being our, our, our leading lady day today. And a special thanks to all of our listeners, both in the U.S. and internationally, as you know, we are an international show. And we'll be back again for another Women Lead radio show where our shows are on Mondays at 9 a.m. and Fridays at 2 p.m. It's been my sincere pleasure to be your host today. Thank you so much for listening. Have a, a great week and be kind. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Women Leading the Way is produced by Connected Women of Influence the premier private membership organization where like-focused, business-to-business, executive and professional women connect, collaborate, and cultivate a vast network of high-level affiliations, resources, and professional relationships. For more information about Connected Women of Influence, please visit our website at connectedwomenofinfluence.com.